You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with Yael Averbush. Yael is a professional soccer player, originally from New Jersey, and has played soccer for 10 years professionally all over the world and the U.S. She was part of two NCAA national championship teams at the University of North Carolina and has 26 appearances for the U.S. women's national team. She currently operates her business called Techna Football, which is a downloadable app that you can get on your mobile device. It has all different types of drills and uh, exercises, mental exercises and physical exercises to help you with your game. And she also is the ex- executive director of the National Women's Soccer League Players Association. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak with Yael and hear about her journey and her experience. She was very candid and open about the ups and downs of the whole of her whole career, and I found it very inspirational how uh, vulnerable she was willing to get, but also just the drive and the grit and the strength and spirit that it takes to achieve such a high level of athleticism that she has. So I'm very excited to share this call with you, and let's dive into it. Here I am with Yael Averbush. All right, I am here with Yael uh, Aberbush. Did I say that correctly? Averbush. Averbush. Sorry, I wrote it. <laughs> Averbush. Thank you. So, uh, thank you for for being on the call. I really appreciate it. We got uh, connected through a mutual friend, and I'm excited to talk to you. You have uh, quite a story, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about you and what you're up to in the world. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Good deal. So you uh, are a badass soccer player. I know that. Um, I've seen, uh, watched a few of your videos online. You have the record for the quickest goal in what NCAA history, women's NCAA history. Actually, someone beat it in the past couple of years. What? Now in second place, but yeah. Oh, come on. I saw that video. You literally just kicked it off the kickoff into the goal. Someone else did it faster though. (laughs) In, in yours was into the wind, I guess. Uh, yeah, the weather just really held me up that day. Right, right, right. Um, so, um, what are you doing now? I mean, for uh, we'll get into the back story a little bit. I want to hear a little bit how you, you know, where you came from and all that. But are you are you playing professionally right now? I was trying to find out if you were on a team or wh- where are you at right now? Yeah, it's a good question. So I've played professionally for the last ten years, um, and. And recently in the last couple of years, I've struggled with a flare up of an illness called ulcerative colitis. It's a mm. digestive illness, kind of like Crohn's for people who are unfamiliar. And so I, I really I battled through the last couple of seasons being very sick and um, decided this season not to play. So mm. I actually, I, um, for the past few years, have owned my own business called Techni Football, which is a training app for players. And I also am this year the executive director of the NWSL Players Association. So I'm working with the league's player association. I'm still very involved in the league, very involved in the game, but not uh, actively a professional player right now. Gotcha. I, and pardon my ignorance, but I, uh, how many professional leagues are there in women's soccer? No, that's a good question. So the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, is the main professional league in this country for women's soccer um, and the only professional league in our country. And there are nine teams that are part of it. Um, but yeah, now a, a lot of countries have very good high quality women's professional leagues throughout the world. So ours is one of many really, really good quality playing environments for women now. Especially. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. I did read um, a little bit of background about you and it sounded like from a very early age, you were very clear on your desire to play professional soccer. So, um, 
as I mentioned, we'll get into sort of that backstory in a little bit, but I'm curious now today, I also saw a recent tweet that you had tweeted that you're like, who am I? You know, if I'm not a professional soccer player, is this a dream I need to let go of? Is it not? Where are you with that, with that part of it? Cause that, that, with your identity so tied to that, that can yeah. be a struggle, I would imagine. This has been a very transformative time. <laughs> um, and I'm having, a, you know, I'm having a lot of questions like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I go and I talk to a therapist about it. I talk to my family about it. All, you know, everyone close to me kind of I'm always having these conversations. Um, in addition to, you know, some of my teammates who are kind of going through the same transition there in later stages of their career or some who have stopped playing or contemplating that. And it mm -hmm. just... Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you don't realize how many ways what you do your whole life affects who you are in such a deeper way than just being on the field. Like for me, like you said, you know, since I was nine, pretty much I've been very serious about all I wanted to do was be a professional soccer player. And I really lived like a professional athlete from a very young age. My sole mm -hmm. focus was on what I needed to do to get better, um, what was coming up that I needed to prepare for, how I was looking at the bigger picture to become the best possible player I could be. And... So now, you know, my thought process still when I wake up in the morning is like, okay, oh, I felt a little tight. I got to stretch. I got to do this. And like my mind just goes through this checklist of like all the things I need to be doing. I need to be hydrating. I got to eat a good breakfast for my training today. But then I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not doing all that stuff. Let me actually see how I feel, see what I want to do today rather than what I have in my calendar, which is be lift weights and train and whatever. Some days I don't feel very well still because of my illness. So I'm having to actually um, think about a lot of things that I didn't think about in the past because I had such a regimented schedule, there was no question. Unless I literally could not get out of bed, I was doing X, Y, and Z training that I had set out to do that day, and that was it, um, which was amazing. I mean, I, I'm very proud of the discipline I had for a lot of years, but it's just no longer appropriate in my life, and it's no longer healthy for me. So it's been mm. a major shift that's definitely in the works. I cannot say I've completed the shift. <laughs> well, so uh, you, uh, I, I was going to say lucky, but I'm sure it's not due to luck, but you have... Um, your business. And I, I'm sure that requires a decent amount of your time and energy and focus. Um, tell me a little bit more about the app and what it does and how it helps people. Yeah. So my, my big thing as a player and what kind of allowed me to reach the highest level has been all the stuff that I've done on my own over the years. I really credit that. Like I had amazing coaches and mentors and I played for great teams, but really what set me apart as a player is all, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you're doing on your own to refine technique and do repetitions of things that really are just happen outside of the team environment. So um, I, I started a number of years ago to share some training ideas on YouTube and I would just call it the, my backyard skill challenges. And mm -hmm. I would, you know, players all over the world started to do these things and send in videos and it was really fun. And then I decided, you know, nowadays, like there's so much video content out there for training or for anything really. All this advice you can do one of a million things if you want to get better go train with the ball and so i decided you know what let me create an actual program for players to follow that's a little bit more um specific they can to like hone in on something and actually just follow this training program and then track their progress oh that's so cool that's that's where the idea for the app came and so um over the last you know launched in 2016 in the fall so it's been about two and a half years of, um, I had no idea what I was getting into when I started the business. I thought, oh, I'm just offering this training session to players, a weekly training session, no problem. Well, like little did I know everything that goes into being able to offer that behind <laughs> the scenes is like, could be a three full-time jobs plus for me. Right. So, so now, yeah, I've learned a ton through the process and um, intended to launch a little side project while I was still playing, but it's become way more than a side project. And now it's really 
my full-time thing and I'm very passionate about it. Um, and it's the beginning of a long-term vision. Oh, that's, that be. is very cool. What, what is the long-term vision? Well, so, I mean, what I've learned very quickly about technology is that whatever idea you have in your head, when you want to start something, you got to scale it back like a million times to yes. actually get something out the door that works. So yes. basically for me, I, I have a long-term vision of creating an app and a training system that is essentially any player's personal coach, whatever age level they are, wherever they are in the world, where they would need very minimal space and equipment and have this tool that's really catered to them. Obviously that takes, you know, an enormous amount of work technology wise to be able to individualize training programs. So right now what we have is uh, we offer a weekly training session that can be done by players of all ages and levels. There's ways to adjust the difficulty based on your own ability and stuff. But I mean, training content wise, I have a grand vision of working with some of the best players and coaches all around the world to capture what they think players should be doing on their own. So right now I've done that a little bit, but there's, I mean, there are hundreds, thousands of coaches and players out there with awesome training ideas I would like to be able to leverage and share. And, and then technology wise, you know, it's oh, like always a work in progress. Yeah, the, right. app, the product itself, um, you know, there's an infinite number of things you can do with technology at this point. So it's about like picking and choosing what to do when and what will actually help players in their training and, and create a better user experience rather than just look flashy. I had a lot of things in my mind that I wanted it to look and do and it's right. not all necessary. So I had to scale that back <laughs> a little bit. How much of the app is non-skill-based and maybe more mindset-based? Do you have anything in there that's mindset? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that. We um, fairly recently in the process uh, released some mental training. <coughs> kind of, um, it's like audio affirmations that you can listen to, and some are um, just some general ones that are for, about confidence, about focus, things like that. And then I actually have some professional players speaking specifically to a skill set that they use, maybe a, d a defensive player talking about the skill necessary to be a defender. We have a you know midfielder who's about to be in the World Cup this summer, the Women's World Cup in France, who's talking about how to dominate the midfield. So mm -hmm. it's, th there's more to it than just the physical you know time with the ball. It's actually like the, the mindset that you need to be a pro. And a lot of too, what the, the app is not just about soccer training, it's about sharing the awesome process of striving for mastery in your field with mm. with these players everywhere because i feel like that was something that has been hugely empowering to me throughout my career it's not just the training i did it's the thought process behind it the confidence you gain through the discipline um, and consistency so we really try to stress and teach kind of the bigger picture there like what you're gaining through this training it's not just the skills with right the, uh, what happens up here and how you can change by by really like taking ownership of your own process and feeling the power in that. What do you, what do you think is the, one of the catalysts for a championship mindset that most people miss? Um, I think, you know, it's the little things. Um, championship mindset requires a grand vision and that self-belief that you can be whatever you want to be. But I think then people overlook the daily work. Um, and some of it is not pretty, and some of it's not what people might think it is. You know, especially with soccer, you don't need to go out and for three hours every day be grinding and sweating. A lot of it is, is more about smart work. Like, you know, one day might be better to recover and watch a soccer game and just let it sink in a little. Sometimes there are skills you can fine tune. So it's, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the awareness of, yeah, the, the awareness of the details that need to take place daily to then reach that grand vision. Yeah. What was it like to be um, a collegiate player 
player at a, you know, a top or the top uh, division one school. And then also in being a professional, like, walk us through a little bit of what it was like, what the, the, that experience was like. It was really interesting because I had, you know, like I said, from a really young age, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to UNC and play for the Tar Heels and I wanted to be a professional soccer player. But really, you don't understand what that means when you set out along that vision, truly. I mean, I had watched all these videos of like the training sessions and stuff, and I imagined myself there. But as a young kid, I did not get what it meant to be a professional athlete, truly, and what that would feel like and the things I would have to do. I have to move across the world and the decisions you have to make. And same thing with the college, um, you know, it's for a young kid to say they want to even go to college. It's like a long, t long, far off vision. But to play college soccer, you know, I, I think I was shocked at each level at the intensity, not only the physical intensity, the step up in physical intensity, but the mental intensity and type of focus and thought process that needs to happen when you jump up from youth soccer player to play college soccer and then from college soccer to be a professional. There's just a a mindset shift that needs to occur that there's no way you can understand and prepare for until you're actually there and you see mm. other people doing it. Um, I've spoken to actually a friend of mine played field hockey there and uh, I've talked with her a little bit about it and just the, and maybe this is, alludes a little bit to what you were just talking about, but just the amount of like dedication. I mean, you're pretty much owned by that sport, by the. Oh, you're a professional already for sure. Yeah. Like professional you don't have time for class. a relationship <laughs> or, you know, a hobby or, I mean, isn't yeah, it. Hobby. <laughs> it does not. No, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're a professional athlete. Um, but then, you know, and, and it's interesting because time-wise and scheduling-wise, you're a professional athlete, but then I think mindset-wise, there's still such a big jump to what it actually takes to have a long, sustained professional career. So it's really interesting, the kind of the dichotomy there, because you're doing all the same things a professional athlete would do when you're in college, and you're going to class, mm. and probably not sleeping enough and doing all kinds of other crazy things, that you do, <laughs> um, which, uh, yeah, I did, but I, but then also, so I, you think, oh, okay, well, like, this will be great, because when I become a professional player I'll basically be doing the same thing but can take away this class stuff that gets in the way um, but really it is a it's a different thing and suddenly you're out on your own with decisions to make and you know the path for, especially in soccer but for a lot of um, people is all set out all the way through college and then you get hopefully to the end of you know four years of college and it's like okay well what now well even in soccer if you become a professional player there's a lot of those same decisions you know what now do you want to play in the u.s do you want to play overseas what team do you want to play for what do you do or how do you manage it if you're not happy in a certain situation and all of a sudden um you're kind of you're driving your own vehicle and you're responsible for a decision whether it's a good one or bad one and it's a it opens up you know a lot of complication yeah, I would imagine. Um, what was uh, going from collegiate soccer to professional soccer? Was there a leap there as well in the intensity? Yeah, for sure. I think you know, the, the physical intensity and the caliber of athletes and the quality of players, it's just um, it's significantly better at, at the professional level. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, the mindset required to not only – make it quote unquote at that level but to sustain that i think is what you don't think of it's like 
in my mind, oh, I signed a professional contract. Wow, I achieved my lifelong dream. Yeah, but that was actually when it started. <laughs> right. So, and I, I had a really big kind of like awakening moment when I, in my first year as a professional, because I was mm. really unhappy. I mm. didn't feel good about myself. My confidence was low. I had a really tough coach who, you know, I, I didn't feel like believed in me. I started some games. I didn't start others. There were some games I didn't even play one minute. And I was thinking like, well, I, I'm living my childhood dream, but what is, this is not the experience I was oh, wow. expecting. And then I realized, oh, wow, you know what? This is when it starts. So um, I remember like having very distinct thought process. Like, wow, I, I don't know what I thought was going to happen now, but this isn't the end. <laughs> right. When you uh, grew up playing a lot with boys, what was, what was the difference between playing with boys versus with girls? Did you pick up anything that was, um, that was unique? I've, I've, I've had people tell me certain things, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts were with that experience. So as a young player playing with boys, I think the biggest thing it did for me, if I were to look back was it, it set my bar really high in terms of my expectations for myself because I was seeing players who were in my age range doing things that girls my age just couldn't do. It was outside the realm of possibility and just the ease with which they were able to do the, these skills. I mean, I was at best a very average player on this boys team. And I had to, because I was, it was at the age too, like those early teenage years where some of these, these guys were men. Like we played against the guys and I laughed because they had a mustache or something. And I was like, right. Kid. Um, so it, it got to the point where, you know, there was no way I was going to have a physical advantage. So I had to play really quickly and think quickly and learn to, I guess what I did, I learned to hang in at a level that was above me. Yeah. Um, and at the, I could contribute on some days, but I definitely wasn't, uh, I wasn't like a clutch player on the team. I would sub on and I would do the best I could. Um, and for me, so yeah, I think what I saw there was I saw how high the bar could be set and I was never satisfied because even on my best day, I was going to be slightly above average on my team, but there were still guys who were so much better and had so much more to offer the team than what I had. So I think for me, that, that was the beginning of a really something I've, I think I've always had in my career is that I, I view the sport as a whole, like men, women. So, so the men we watch on TV and champions League like in these big time games, that's what I see. And so for me, my bar has never been like, okay, I just want to be a really good female player. I just want to be a really good player. So if I show mm. up at a small game somewhere and there are excellent players, I can hang in that level. And that, that was really, I think playing with boys was my initial introduction to that feeling and that uh, mindset. Yeah. I had, um, uh, the college uh, coach who coached the women's soccer team for the school that I went to, I was talking with him one time and I asked him a similar question. I was like, is it any different coaching girls than it is boys? And, uh, or at that point, women and men. And uh, he said, yeah, there's a huge difference. He said, you know, when guys get on the field, you know, if they look up and they see a teammate that's open that, you know, maybe can score whatever they're going to pass it with the girls, if she looks up and sees, you know, so-and-so and, but she looked at her boyfriend the wrong way, like that bitch, I'm not going to pass to her. And, you know, and so like there was, he's like, there, it's much more communal. Like there was a, there's a community in women's sports that guys were more focused on, you know, we'll deal with our differences off the field, but right now we're going to, you know, our, we got to get the result. We got to win the game or whatever. Have you noticed anything like that? Is that true or not as much honestly i think the the more competitive the level you're at the less that something like that would happen because everybody's (laughs) desperately trying to succeed and needs each other like really badly but actually it's funny my college coach always talks about this because he coached 
uh, men originally, and then like has been coaching in the women's game for many years. Like his name is Anson Doran. It's like really famous uh, coach. I think he has probably the most winning record. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, there's a lot of records. Mm-hmm. But um, he was saying that you know if you go in at halftime or after the game and you say to a group of women like oh, you know, some of you weren't working hard enough. Every single woman in the room thinks like, oh, he's talking about me. I wasn't working hard enough. Mm. And if you do the same thing with a group of men, male players, you go in the room and say that every guy is like, ah, it was him. Like, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) So I always thought that was funny because I think it's really true. It is true. (laughs) I'm sure you have to be aware of because a little thing you say to a group of women, like that wouldn't even affect, like come up on the radar of the guys. Like all the women are starting to worry and like think it's them. They're going to be working extra hard the next time. So I just thought that was hilarious. Did did you ever see that Dove commercial where the women go in and they have to describe themselves to like a a police sketch artist? Oh no, I haven't seen it. Have you not seen this? No, it sounds good. I can only imagine. Oh, it's so funny. They they describe, you know, themselves to the, and of course it's always, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit big, a little bit chunkier yeah. than I think, you yeah. know, whatever. I'm tired. My eyes are drooping or whatever. And then they look at, you know, the pictures that they drew and they're like, oh, what? But there's a parody video of guys describing themselves <laughs> and it's always way better than oh, we think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too good. We kind of see sure, things better though. than like, it's, it's how it happens. <laughs> that's very probably true. somewhere in the middle is, is how it should be <laughs> exactly yeah it would, which is why we need each other you know yeah. oh, true. women to give us a little humility and and men to say no you're good you know you're fine you're beautiful that's not well <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious um so what are your thoughts on uh i mean i have to ask you what are your thoughts right now on the current uh national team and is there any is there any possibility for you i know you're dealing with your illness or anything is there is that still on your radar at all? But um, Oh, I mean, that's always on my radar. And I don't think I'm on their radar. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> More the issue. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been involved with that group in a number of years now. Um, I was kind of, uh, quote unquote, a bubble player for probably like six, seven years. Um, but as the, the new coach, he's named Joe Ellis, who came in in maybe 2014, I haven't been even invited to a training camp since she became the coach. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm no longer in the picture there at all. And now my, you know, my playing situation is ambiguous. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, you know, that is always every single time I've played every season I've been a part of, that is always my goal. And, and those are, you know, players I've played with over the years. And I, that's, you know, the standard I hold myself to. Every time I play, I would be hoping to be put on their radar. But I think it it makes sense at this point for um, that team to look into younger players. I mean, there are the veteran players who are tried and true and you know are going to perform when it matters on the world stage. You've got to bring them every time. And then if there's any other room on the roster, it should go to a younger player who maybe would become one of those players. Sure. Totally fair. As much as I would want to be part of it, it wouldn't make any sense for them to even uh, to consider that. That makes that's, sense. That's one of the most honest things I've even said to myself. <laughs> oh, that's well, you know, it's, it's it's helpful sometimes to articulate that out loud to be like, oh, I'm glad you asked me. Thank you. <laughs> I can get over it. <laughs> um, well, I watched I watched the game. They had a friendly against uh, I think it was South Africa a few days ago, and they just dominated. I mean, it, the score didn't even really. I think it was three nothing at the end of the game, but I mean, it, I think they possessed the ball about ninety percent of the time. What do you what do you think their chances are for? Uh, for the next World Cup. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I say there are the parity in the women's game around the world is increasing very rapidly. Yes. Like there are, there are probably 
at this point, a solid six teams who could legitimately make a run to win the World Cup. And I think mm -hmm. nobody would be like, what? How did that happen if right. one of those teams won? Uh, but I still think, you know, our women's team has so historically and so solidly been at the top that I, I still think there's a 50% chance the U.S. will win the World Cup and a 50% chance someone else will. Yeah. I don't know how many more World, World Cup. I said that last World Cup too, and they won. Um, <laughs> but I think this could be the last tournament where it's that skewed because that's a huge i mean the like there are usually not odds like that that's not an fit official odds but sure. um, that, that's unbelievable like that would never happen um in the men's game so i think uh you know we still have a, a lot of dominance in the world of soccer but there are other countries who play really well and have a group of um you know 11 plus high quality world-class players so mm -hmm. now it's you know it's a good thing but it's also it's a great a thing yeah. right of oh, course the best thing for the game absolutely yeah oh it was it was so entertaining i um what's her name she's a young younger player i think rose um yeah rose lavelle lavelle yeah the footwork like she made some moves and and some passes that were lightning fast you know it's fun to watch i have a daughter she's 13 and oh, she likes playing soccer she's got a little uh she's half latin so she's got that like <laughs> natural instinct she sees a ball and her eyes just yeah. like start to glow you know um so it's fun to see the, the women's sport take off they're actually here in st louis i'm in st louis they're here this uh oh yeah this friday so we're gonna try to see if we can get over there but oh awesome yeah definitely um, yeah. So what's, uh, what do you, what's your advice on for younger girls who are looking to play when, um, when they're in a funk? Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, I always come back to in life, but mostly in soccer, that's cause that's how I think of life. Um, I always come back to the things I can control and I know it's so much easier said than done, but for me, the reason I've really, been drawn to spending time with the ball on my own and, and practicing technique over the years is it's something that's fully in your control as a player so like mm -hmm. I go out to, the, to a wall I put on my music and I I'm doing repetition off the wall and it's like meditation to me mm -hmm. so I think the more things that you can have as a young player that you feel like it, it's your relationship with the game it has nothing to do with your parents nothing to do with your coaches whether you make a team, don't make a team, through all the good and bad that will happen in the game, whether you're injured or you feel great, like all this stuff happens. It happens to all the players, even at the top level. But if you have your own relationship with the game and the things that you love doing and you love playing, that will always kind of bring you out of that funk and get you back in it. And I, I think for me, you know, there's been, there've been so many times throughout the years where I've been like down and out, crying, disappointed, whatever it is. Right. And then you pick back up the next day and the day after that and you say, oh, wow. I remember why I love this and why it's worth it. And I think the more things you have like that as a player, the your why basically, you know, and, and the things you enjoy, the easier it is to continue to rebound when those things happen. Cause yeah, yeah. It happens to everyone. I think some people think like, Oh, this isn't for me, but every top player, you look at Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, these players, they've had, they have the same thing over and over again, the same disappointments, that same feeling, but they just continue to get better throughout that. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's true of all athletes, but just that fail, uh, the fear of failure, um, you know, to, to letting your team down or to embarrass yourself or um, I guess this is sort of a similar question, but what, how have you handled that? Especially I mean, with the increased pressure. Yeah. I think you gotta, you gotta just like bombard yourself with it. It sounds bad and it's a really hard thing to do, but 
the only way to get over that is to just put yourself out there again and again. And I, that was part of, you know, when we talk about me playing on an all boys team, like that was an uncomfortable situation. Mm. Like think about that in middle school ages, that's just rough, like <laughs> for anyone. But I, from a young age, I got used to being uncomfortable a lot mm-hmm. and taking those risks. And I think about it now and I think it's probably, I mean, I maybe overdid it a little now that I think back as like a young player, I was uncomfortable a lot. I was always playing on an older girls team or a boys team. I never had like my people where I felt mm-hmm. safe. Kinda. But mm. at the same time, I'm really used to being uncomfortable and going out on a limb and speaking in front of a group or doing the things that make me nervous. I just have done them a lot of times and then they lose that, um, that potential to, to hurt you, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't stress enough, the more mistakes you can make, the more uncomfortable situations you can put yourself in for anything you want to do, it will, it will only help you over time. Um, because everyone, you know, soccer especially, it's a game of mistakes. Um, nobody has a perfect game. So the more you can get used to that feeling and be okay with it and just move on to the next thing, the better. It's Again, easier said than done. I'm not perfect at it, but I definitely... Yeah. I've been in a lot of tough situations. I was just going to ask you, what, what's been your toughest? Honestly, playing on that boys team was up there. And I even thought this when I, um, I, I have, I feel really proud of having, I've appeared 26 times for the U.S. national team. Throughout my time as a bubble player, I never made a World Cup roster, an Olympic roster, so I was just disappointed there. But I have a number of appearances with the team. And I remember thinking my first, when I was about to enter the game for my first cap, that's what they call it, first appearance I remember thinking like oh I'm prepared for this because it's nothing like when I would show up with my boys team and be the only girl and see the other team's faces like what is she doing here whatever and then we would have to change to our away jerseys or something and I had to finagle this weird all the guys just ripped off their shirt and changed I had to do this weird like put on over it was literally the most painful toughest (laughs) like it sounds ridiculous but as a kid that was mortifying Um, Uh, because this was what junior high age yeah Oh yeah. Such an awkward time. And I I remember thinking this when I entered the game for my first appearance to represent our country, I was like, Oh, I'm not even close to as nervous as I used to be on these boys. Really? But I mean, I I was pretty freaking nervous. My life for sure. Sure. (laughs) I remember thinking like, I'm prepared for this because at least these are women I'm playing with. So yeah, playing on that boys team was really tough. Wow. That's uh, that age is such a rough age. It really scarred me for a long time. (laughs) My, my daughter's in it right now. My son is just entering it. Um, which talking about how boys and girls deal with things differently. It's kind of funny to to see them do that. But as a young girl, especially with social media, how the heck, how's, how did girls today? This, so this is why I feel really fortunate. There wasn't Instagram or anything like that. Like, thank goodness. I don't think. Oh my I, I don't know if I could have been right. in that situation. I, I think it, things were a little simpler in that sense that there wasn't always sharing of everything going on. Um, thank goodness. But yeah, I think, but I also think back and having something that I was really serious about and that central focus in my life uh, saved me, I think, a lot of like heartache during those years of my mm. life. It's a tough time. I think especially for girls, it's a really tough time. People often girls aren't very nice at that age, like people right. are really competitive. So I think the fact that I had this singular focus really, um, it just kept me going in, this, in a straight line. Gave you something else to think about. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's part of the next chapter for you is to help, um, help those younger girls at that age navigate that space and develop the skill set, but also stay grounded mentally, emotionally. Um, 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought of that specifically, but I do think, you know, I'm really, I'm really passionate about helping young players who want to set goals and want to get better, uh, whether they're girls or boys. I think that it, it's interesting for me because technique is one of the things where like, whether you're a girl or boy, it's the only, really the only thing in sports that can be totally equal. There should be no difference. Mm. I think too, I think back and like, that was my one equalizer. You know, when I played for that boys team, if I could receive the ball well, if I could strike it well, all those things, like you can't run fast enough to, to stop a a well-placed shot that's driven well. So I think, you know, Mm. when I think about it, it's really empowering, especially for young girls to think like, you know, you can be as good as you want with this. There's no limiting factor physically or anything like that. So um, definitely through my work, that's what I try to promote. Did you, uh, how do you deal with having a life? (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. (laughs) Life thing all came upon me all of a sudden now that I, uh, now that I'm kind of on the verge of being done playing and I actually just got married recently. So I'm like a normal person now. Yeah. It's yeah, weird. what is what is that like? I don't know. I am I'm like <laughs> actually it's funny I can joke about it. I'm really overwhelmed with it. I don't know how to be a normal person. I don't know how to have downtime or just be comfortable. Um, <laughs> it's true. I'm gonna feel co- comfortable. I'm like, oh, something's wrong. I should be working on something. I should be training. Why am I not stretching? Like all these yeah. thoughts go through your head. Well, so, for yeah. for somebody who's who's literally put herself in uncomfortable positions intentionally you developed comfort in your uncomfortableness yeah and now you're now you have the opportunity to be comfortable which is probably very uncomfortable <laughs> it, it is no it, it really is and this right. is what i talked to my therapist about i'm going through all these things and i'm I, a big thing for me right now is deciding i very intentionally a, a long time ago in my life decided how i wanted to live as a professional soccer player and which i'm actually high. going through the um which that I was going to pursue that with every single thing. I could oh, have. got it. Right. Shy away from any opportunities. Like we talked about being scared or the fear of failure. I, I had decided I was not going to uh, shy away from any of it. I was going to go mm-hmm. all out and be the absolute best I could be. And if I made it great and if I didn't, you know, I still have things I, I wish I would have played in a world cup and Olympics, but you know, I literally did the best I could. Yeah. Uh, and I feel very proud of that. But I think moving forward, I consciously now, I'm trying to decide like I don't think I can take on another career of that nature it's not it's not right for me and it's not a healthy thing to start again so <laughs> I was very close to slipping into you know when I haven't been able to play because of my illness and stuff I was very close to slipping into my business becoming that for me like working uh-huh. four hours a day waking up in the middle of the night answering emails doing all this crazy stuff and then I, I consciously said you know what I don't want to do this again mm-hmm. um, I want to be successful I want to be ambitious. I still enjoy training myself, but I can't do this again. Yeah. I start this again. So uh, I don't know what life is like without being like that, but I know I cannot start another career path that does that same thing to me. Uh, I think that's part of the risk. Uh, well, it's it's the it's necessary, I think, to achieve such uh, a height of of success. Um, but when you identify with something that is temporal. And that goes away. I mean, I think I, I had another podcast call. It's not published yet, but with a former major league baseball player. And we talked about this just briefly, but yeah, when your entire life is identified by I do this and then that thing goes away, that can be a very scary thing. And and you see, you know, you see the stock market tank and guys in wall street commit suicide because it's like their entire identity is wrapped up in my value is this. And then it's taken away or, 
Um, you know, I know my mom was uh, somebody that just identified so much as a mother. And well, what happens when that yes, that last child is grown up and moves out? Who are you anymore? It can be a very scary um, thing, but I, I think also it could be a re- very liberating thing as well. Yeah, it's true. No, it's true. I think and identifying that I think is important. Like I didn't even realize how much my identity was tied up in this. I knew it, but it, it's hard to really feel it until all of a sudden you wake up and you're not supposed to be doing what you are always doing. Yeah. Me, it's not just like, oh, I don't need to. I actually shouldn't be because of my health. So I, I have had to actively stop myself um, from doing the training I would usually do and, and living like I would usually live. So it's been a very abrupt uh, transition for me. Mm. The thing that comes to my mind is, you know, pursuing something like that is a very personal goal. And obviously it, it's inspirational and it sets an example to other people, what's possible. And of course the experience that you have in it can be very gratifying, but it is, uh, it is focused on self. It's a, it's a passion. Whereas now you almost have the opportunity to let that blossom into purpose to where it's like, how do I take this thing that I excelled at and, and have this deep skill set in and share that and create a bigger impact with, which is obviously what you're already doing with your business and, and whatnot. But that to me is, I think, a very rewarding next chapter where, it, uh, you know, there's many professional players that end up becoming coaches and they often talk about how it's, it can be way more fun to be the general and not the soldier, you know, and think about and strategizing and, and not have to go out and wake up at, you know, four 30 in the morning and bust your ass, whatever. Like you can actually have a little sleep in, spend some time with your family or whatever, but still have the, you know, the, the, the strategy and the uh, still go to battle, you know, but it's more of a mental chess game than it is uh, physical. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it, it's a good, um, it's a good way to transition to because you're still very involved in the game and what you're so familiar with and so passionate about. Um, and for me, it's also been a really interesting process to try to kind of piece, take the pieces of like, what about how I grew up playing and how I learned to love this game was so valuable and what can be shared. Um, and and think, in thinking about what can be shared and how to share it, you kind of come up with too like so much more value than you even thought you had Mm. and 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 also it's given me great gratitude to realize like the gifts i was given by coaches and mentors and like how can i share those and amplify them on an even bigger scale because like i work with me individually for hours and hours and i think back and i don't think of the skills they taught me i think of like the feeling i had when i left practice with them like whoa i can't wait to go practice this because next time i'm going to show this coach that i can do like what i was impossible for me to do last time and i would go practice until my leg got sore and i would injure myself and then i have to rest and then i'd be so excited to go back next time and i just (laughs) think about that and i think like if i could make another player feel that that excitement and feel Mm -hmm. the power of going out and like accomplishing the thing you couldn't do before that's huge mm-hmm. um, so it's more than the skills of the game which is what i was so focused on for all those years but now i realize like that really wasn't what they were giving me mm-hmm. who would you say was your biggest influence oh wow i mean I-, I have to say my parents here um but i i really think back at how many wonderful individual mentors i've had throughout my time as a player and it's like i have a list Um, But my parents from day one, you know, they are both lifelong athletes, neither played soccer, but um, they're both long distance runners. Still, I say this because they're like still crazy and out there doing their thing. But they're like, I mean, my, my 
parents competed long distance running. My dad competed very seriously in the marathon. And then now, because his knees are kind of shot from all those years, he's, he's in our basement lifting weights. And like, you know, I woke up as a kid every morning knowing that my parents had done their daily workout and were like showered and ready to go for the day. And it was never, I don't remember one time as a kid them not having done it for any reason. Like if it snowed, I woke up because they were jumping rope in the house or if it was raining, wow. my dad would do hill repeats in a parking garage on the, wow. so like, this was what I thought was normal as a kid. Right. And now I realize like, we're all freaking crazy <laughs> for sure. But like, imagine just that was your norm as a kid. If you're an athlete, that's what you do every single day. You do your training. Yeah. So to me, it was like a no brainer when I started playing soccer, like, oh, well, let's figure out how you do this thing. What the heck is this sport? And like, I'll go practice it every day. Um, so they, I mean, that impact that's had on just the way I live my life is probably beyond the way, beyond what I can even realize. I was going to ask you how, what that, to go a little deeper with that, like how that influence, um, I mean, clearly shaped, uh, my next question was going to be like, where does your drive come from? Well, it's very obvious where that, where that <laughs> example, dad, like dad, you made me like this. Did they ever, did you ever feel, you know, pressured by them or did you ever feel like, was it kind of a, a hard, um, get out, Hey, you got to get out there and do another lap or you got to, were they pushing you or was it just, no, I think they, they never pushing me and it was never a battle. Uh, it wasn't, it, it was kind of like, uh, if you want to do this, what you say you want to do and you're serious about it, like we will help you do it. We'll drive you where we need to that. go. We'll find the resources. So they were, I mean, amazing. There were probably times now that I think back where I, you know, struggled a little with motivation and they would help me to find that motivation or like my dad still to this day and my, and my mom, they'll come to the field with me. Like sometimes you just need a pal. Like they can't, yeah. they can't contribute beyond throwing balls. And like, I get mad at them and I kick it back at them really hard. Like poor, <laughs> poor the things they've witnessed and my frustration, like while I'm trying to train, but honestly, they're, I, I would say they're, they were companions along this journey. They were not mm -hmm. driving it. They kind of were just holding my hand and going with me and still, um, still do. And I, you know, I just think about the type of, um, you know, what that adds. And like, I, I think now too, of how much of a sponge I was. And I, I think a lot of kids and younger people are, I remember things my dad just said in passing about a runner who um, was in the bathtub at the end of the week, tallying up his miles for the week and realized he was a mile short or something and got out of the bath at night and went and ran his last mile. And like, oh, no. I don't know how, I was probably like, 10 when my dad told me this yeah. random story but I remember that and these things all sunk in and I I remember having these really serious thought processes like I will always do this I will never do this like this is how you have to do it and I created this discipline for myself based on these things and I, I wasn't I was being serious but also joking but I, I said to my dad my dad you made me a psycho like <laughs> that possible way I'm really proud of it but I mean it's not a normal thought process for like a, a young adolescent yeah. Well, but what's, what's normal? Yeah, true. I'm definitely not me, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, that's true too. Right. I mean, but, but like you said, that was normal for you growing up as a kid and that became your, your home base mentally. Yeah. So to, I mean, no wonder you're a professional athlete like that to me is awesome. Parenting the fact that they led by example, but also didn't, you know, jam it down your throat seems like a really healthy uh, <laughs> way to, to turn yeah. your kid into a psycho. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they did it right. They did a good job of it. <laughs>
Yeah. Oh, that's well, so I'm curious though, what, um, I mean, I understand the identity shift. That's a really big thing. I get that. Is, is that really sort of the basis of the therapy that you're going through right now is just to kind of how to navigate that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a lot of things for me right now and a big piece of it has been my health. Like I, and I, mm. you know, thinking about it and thinking about who I am, I don't know when or if I would ever stop playing, you know, if I didn't quote unquote have to. Sure. Um, so I think about it and I think about the signals my body was trying to send me for now a number of years that I just, I just pushed, I pushed and pushed and pushed. And so for me right now, um, my main focus is not really the identity shift. It's just coming back to full health. And that's a, a mental, physical, spiritual health. It's a general life health. And I think about how skewed and how unhealthy my lifestyle has been, even though I've been playing a sport and exercising and mm -hmm. taking care of myself in the ways that would normally be healthy, those things are not healthy if the, if the balance gets tipped. And the right. balance for me got tipped, um, especially mentally and emotionally, uh, having to do with things beyond just playing, um, things like uprooting my life to, to relocate, to play on a different team every six months, or playing in tough situations where I was always trying to prove something to a coach rather than just be myself and perform. So I think um, right now it's a an examination period for me where I'm trying to understand like, what did I just do for the last 20 years? Actually, yeah. you know, it was beyond just playing soccer. Like I really led a lifestyle that I think was, I mean, it, it was extreme in every possible way. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's like, yeah, learning about, you know, what did I just do? And <laughs> what do I want to continue with from that? Like, what are the valuable things? Cause I don't mm -hmm. want to change who I am. I'm very proud of it. I like purposely shaped myself into who I am today. Um, very consciously, which is why, because I so consciously did that day after day for years and years, not only is it going to take a long time to kind of unwind that, I think, and examine it, but then I can pick and choose what pieces do I want to take with me moving forward? Because I definitely want to take a lot of it with me, but then what pieces are no longer beneficial and do I need to discard? And that's yeah. kind of the process I'm in now, I think is like, what do I want to keep and what do I want to get rid of moving forward? And yeah. it's, it's complicated. I mean, this is going to take this is not a short term process. I really, I went to this, I went to this therapist. This is actually kind of funny. I went to this therapist who also does some hypnosis and some different types of things. And I was thinking like, Oh great. She can go in and just fix me. <laughs> like yeah. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. I don't know. I, I think about it all the time. I talk about it. I don't have any like repressed feelings about it. I, I was just like, I just need someone to fix me. Yeah. Um, so then like a couple sessions in, I was kind of like, she, when's she going to fix me? And I realized like all of a sudden I was like, okay, why would I think that this is going to be such a short process when I've, created this monster for years and years like it's going to take a while to unravel some of it so well, I mean, you know it, it's interesting that you have that perspective because I, a lot of people that i know that are very driven and success driven and 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 even if life throws them a curveball metaphorically so to speak uh, like like you said there's still all of that value of that drive and the discipline and um pushing yourself to the next levels and the growth that comes from that um uh, you know, obviously, if that's taking a a toll on your physical health, I can I can see how that would really challenge one to say, all right, well, what what is this really serving me, and and is there a, a different uh, rhythm of life that I need to sort of realign myself to? Um, but I would think that a lot of that that you've learned has just, has been obviously the the proof to have gotten you to where you're at now, and to potentially you know, serve you moving forward with, with the business or with coaching or, 
you know, whatever it is that you decide to really get into, but. Yeah. I mean, the general framework of who I am, I think it's not, I'm not trying to discard that by any means. And I think yeah. it, it's very, um, in anything I do, I think it will always serve me well. And I yeah. know that, uh, but there, there's a lot that has gone past what is currently serving my, me well. And I think that this is something too, that we often don't think about until we're in a new phase of life, whatever that means for different people. Mm-hmm. It's like in each, each phase of our lives will require us to be a different way. Yes. Um, and I didn't ever think that I wouldn't always need to be the, the way I was being. Uh, so it was very extreme and for a very long period of time. And then all of a sudden kind of came to this new phase and was like, well, maybe I don't need all of this anymore. I can use this part, but I don't need to take it past that last little extreme point. Right. So, yeah. I think it's a, it's a new phase of life for me. And I actually, it's funny because I've been asked this by many people like, oh, well, what do you enjoy? Do you have hobbies? I was laughing before when you said something about hobbies. And people <laughs> ask me like, do you have hobbies? I'm like, hobby? Like, why do you do that? I'm a professional athlete and I own my own company. Like there's no hobby in there. Um, <laughs> but then also even people will be like, well, what do you, or my dad keeps asking me this now and if I joke with him and he made me a psycho. He'll be like, well, I'll say, you know, I don't know how I'm feeling. I, I was planning to go to the gym, but like, I don't know if I should anymore because in the past I would never have that, even entertain that thought. I would be at the right. gym. And then he was like, well, what do you feel like doing? I said, dad, you taught me not to think about what I feel like doing. I don't know what I feel like doing. I actually don't really know what I enjoy or what I want to do pretty often because I closed out all of those thoughts. Um, that's, that's so honest of you. I appreciate your willingness to just say, hey, here's where I'm at. Because I, I think that a lot of people don't push the pause button yeah. and they just put their head down, put the blinders on and drive, 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 drive. And there's, I respect the hell out of that. But if you're not going in the direction that you want to go or maybe need to go, that can be futile. I mean, oh, it, it yeah. could be a life, it could be a life well lived on paper, but then you go, well, I wasn't even really that happy. Yeah. Which yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think things in our life try to give us warning signs when we're doing yep. that. We've gone a yep. little far. And I mean, and I say this because mine has been really extreme. Like I literally was bedridden. Like I was, could mm. not leave home for some weeks last mm. year. And so I actually had to stop everything mm. I'm doing, like in the most literal way. Like I could not, I couldn't take a phone call. I couldn't barely get up. Wow. And so... I mean, and my exercise became like, could I even leave home to go for a 10 minute walk? That was like a big move some days. So I was brought all the way back to zero. Oh, wow. um, and, and I can't say that I would have done this reevaluation and just like taken a step back to, to look at what I was doing in life without it. Mm. Like I, I would be honest, I, I would have been that person continuing probably along sure. for until something brought me to this point, I, I mm-hmm. believe. So in some ways, like I think you know, it's been a very, very difficult couple of years for me health wise, but I also think that I'm, I'm very grateful for this time in my life where I've cleared out my schedule and said, okay, like, what do I want to add back in? What mm-hmm. do I want to do rather than mm-hmm. it, it just got piled on, piled on. And it was going a million miles an hour in a lot of different directions. And then I had to literally stop. Um, and Has there, what happens now. <laughs> is there any part of you that's like, maybe it has nothing to do with soccer? Uh, what, what I'll do next or yeah. yeah or just what you're uh, yeah I mean I'm open I, I I love the sport like just as a as a fan supporter just as, as a hobby girl. yeah like I would yeah actually that's why I never had a hobby because my hobby is my job is, yeah. is my life yeah. so yeah I mean I I cannot believe that in my life soccer won't always be it sure like 
very central part. But I don't, I don't think I need to always be working in soccer. I, I don't know. I'm not, um, I'm not stuck on anything, but it just naturally, I mean, I love it. My husband loves it and he works in soccer and we both play and that's what we do for fun. So oh, that's cool. it's, it's unlikely that I'll move away from that. But I, I feel that um, I'm coming to a good place where I don't desperately need the sport. I choose to participate in whatever capacity I do. Whereas I think for a lot of years, like I, I needed it because it was me. And yeah. I think I'm starting to make that separation is that I can exist outside of it. I mean, I had to, I went, I went months without even exercising let alone playing soccer so mm. uh i've separated myself from it that's quite an abrupt change of pace to be going 150 miles an hour to three you know uh, without it being your choice i i can imagine how difficult or i can try to imagine how difficult that would be um to have to completely shift like that so yeah i would imagine that would take a little bit of time to reacclimate Oh yeah, for sure. And that's why I think now I'm kind of coming back to like, as I am able to add things back into my life, well, what do I want to add in and what can stay out? And it's Mm -hmm. kind of a, it's an unfortunate reason why I'm, I'm in this situation, but it's actually really kind of a cool period of my life where I'm able to make that decision consciously. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Well, we know that you uh, scored a goal in four seconds, which is pretty cool. What's been your greatest achievement or like your most, when you look back on it, you go, oh my God, that was amazing. Do you have a- Wow. Um, you know, I think if I were to look at what I'm most proud of, I think the longevity of my professional career, which is ironic now because now I'm not able to play, but I- um, in the women's game right now, to have a long professional career is really difficult. One, because to be a professional athlete for a long period of time is just very difficult. Now I have so much respect when I see a, a player of any sport, an athlete who's been a professional for a solid number of years. I look mm-hmm. at you know, what that takes to stay, at, not just to get to the top. People can you know find success or come into things through luck and stuff, but to, to remain there takes such um, a body of work not only during your time as a pro, but the body of work leading up to it to be able to support a long career. Mm-hmm. And so I think I am more, more than any one game I won or accolade I've got or anything like that. I'm so proud of the body of work that I've put in and that I executed on a, on a vision that was like really lofty and crazy. Uh, and I, it's given me like, it is probably the most empowering thing I'll ever do in my life. Mm. Well, I say that maybe I hope having kids will be even more empowering and blow that out of the water. But um, to, to have that vision as a little kid and then be able to look back and look at the whole body of work that's gone into it. Like for me, I'm not bullshitting when I say like the days spent at the wall where my dad or mom was out there sitting with me and it was raining a little bit and I'm just doing my thing. Like those days for me are like when I think about that, I get the chills. And I've won some freaking big games and been part of things that were really special. But like that for me is like what it's all about. That's what I love. Uh, I love that. Yeah. How, how cool that is to have a vision for such a long time and then to execute. And like you said, have a body of work that you can look at that God forbid anything were to happen. That is done. It's history. It's tangible. It's in the record books, you know? Um, I think, I think about that a lot, like just even in my own life or just anybody's life, really just thinking about your sense of purpose and legacy and what have you created? What have you built? What are you leaving behind? I think that's a very, um, 
it, not many people have already have achieved what you've already achieved. And that is pretty cool. Yeah, but you know what? The way what I think about it, though, and this is why I think I feel so strongly about those like little meaningless days, is like that is what it's all about. So I really believe you don't need to have like a this grand vision to be something that on paper sounds really exciting. I think that through living in in your best way every single day, you create this body of work in your life. And that could just mean the way you treat the people around you, or how you are with your family, or whatever it is. It can be the small things that no one sees but i think that's where that feeling over time comes from to think like wow i was consistently great at whatever it is i was doing for years and every day for years is really powerful and and that's why for me i think though the daily stuff matters so much because Mm -hmm. i think about more it's so much more impressive to do anything. I think when people say they've been married for 75 years or done something for whatever years, I think, wow, that is unbelievable. Yeah. To have committed to something and to do it for, for that long period of time. Um, and we're not all that fortunate to have even that many years in our lives. So you never know with things like that. But I just think, um, I don't, I often get caught in the, and now I understand this because I'm, you know, in this situation in my life where like, Oh, if you're not doing something that sounds really cool, like, is there a point to it? Or, you know, I, I think people come out of college and they want to do this grand thing, but it's, it's just as meaningful to do something small really well every day than it is to do something big really well. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. So long as there's, at least in my mind, an intention, like a, a clear intention. So you're going to be the best mother that you can be, right? That's a, that's a date. Well, shoot, that's a minute by minute often um, quote unquote body of work that adds up over a lifetime. Right. Um, but, but there's, I think the, um, the clarity of that versus somebody that just says, Hey, I'm going to be the best person in whatever shape or way that shows up to me. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for having clarity of, of intention um, and then setting out to achieve that. But you're right. I mean, that could be a, it could be a way of being right over, over your entire life. Um, but uh, anyway, but I agree about the intention. I think it's the same, it's the same thing with, with anything. Like that's what we preach with technique football with training is that to go out and go through the motions. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff, but if your intention is right and your focus is clear, you're getting so much more out of that. So I think it, I think that's very, very true. Is that well, and you can't really, you can't really have intention without vision, Yeah, you know, because then otherwise, well, then what's your intention? If you don't know where you're going, that is true. And, and I think that some people often mistake, um, <sighs> I don't know how to articulate that, but they often will mistake vision. The vision's too blurry. They'll say something like, um, well, I'm going to make, I'm going to be rich. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, what does that mean? What's the specificity of that? So there's a general direction to the vision, but there isn't the clarity of this dollar amount at this age. You know what I mean? So that intention that the vision to me, I think is really important to get, super clear on so that you know exactly what that looks like, which is clearly what you did. And then to, to achieve it, I think is probably incredibly gratifying. You know what I, that just made me think of too, is like, this is something I've been doing recently in my life because I'm lacking the same very intentional clarity that I start out with because I'm purposely trying to not go back to that same thing. 
I've, and I was asked this at one point, and I like had no idea. I said, like, well, what do, you, what do you want to be doing on a daily basis? Or how do you want to feel daily? Because it's true is that even if you are really rich or you become a doctor or whatever it is like that, that, that dream entails for you, well, what is your daily life feel like? So like, I would also like to be very rich, which women's soccer has not afforded me the luxury of so far. Um, <laughs> but like, okay, well, why? Like, what, what is that going to bring me on a daily basis? And I realized what I want to have is the luxury to be outside on a nice day and go for a walk with my family or go to the park or go kick the soccer ball around if I want. I don't want to be in an office. So for me, if it's a trade-off and I have to sit in an office all day to be rich, or if I, uh, at the expense of my health, grow my business, but then I'm inside sick, like right. that doesn't accomplish the same thing for me. So it, it, I think, gives you that laser-sharp clarity if you can pinpoint, okay, well, what's your vision? But what, what about that, like what draws you to that? What, what do you want to be doing every day? And how do you want to feel every day of your life as yes. you're doing that thing? Because I could say I want to be a professional soccer player. And then I look and say, well, what do I want to be doing every day? I wanted to be training and putting in the time and the thought process. I love that part. But if mm -hmm. somebody doesn't want to do that, they don't really want to be a professional soccer player. Just like mm -hmm. if somebody uh, wants to be rich, but it to get rich is going to make them do something daily that they don't want to be doing. Maybe they don't really want to be rich. So I think it's such an important it's always that back and forth of the end vision, but then the daily work and how they interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what you mentioned that there's not many women that are just rolling in the dough from, from being a professional soccer player. What's your thought on um, what women make in sports today versus men? I think this is such a complex, a complex issue beyond the numbers that, get shared in the media, I think. And I, I just take the soccer world, for example. Um, there's so much structural inequality coming from how the men's game is marketed and um, the way it's displayed. And so then the sponsorships that come in. So it's an ongoing cycle. And I think mm -hmm. um, the salaries are a result of a cycle that's taken place for years and years. So we need to look at breaking that cycle and starting somewhere. So maybe that means, you know, and this is just uh, off the top of my head, but then maybe that means, um, you know, if the same amount of money were spent to market women's sports as were men's sports, well, what would that, what would the result be of that in 10 years? Maybe mm -hmm. then that leads to increased salaries. So I think mm -hmm. the salary is like the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much more that we don't see in terms of how female athletes are treated, what the, the daily environment is like uh, that then leads to a lower salary, but it's not just the salary, it's the experience. And if, you know, if you put in this body of work, how are you made to feel every day as a professional? Mm -hmm. Well, it's very different than what a man would feel like who's put in the same body of work. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously there's a market too, right? For that's much bigger for men's sports, at least today. Maybe that's, we can, argue about why or why not that is, but there, there clearly is. And so obviously there's more dollars there to be made, et cetera. Um, but it, it is cool to see the rise of women's sports and to see the competitiveness and, you know, filled out stadiums. I mean, we've, like I said, I'm in St. Louis and um, we've had the women's team here a few times and they've, I don't know if they've sold out the stadium, but there's 35, 40,000 people there. Um, and it's exciting. It's fun to see. Uh, and I think, I think, as you mentioned, as the other teams are becoming more and more competitive, ultimately, I think 
that's what people want to see is high caliber of play. You know, the storylines that come out of it, you start to follow the players. And of course, as you know, a father to a young daughter, how cool is it to be able to show them by example, Hey, here's something that you could do. You don't have to do it, whatever, but it's another avenue for a young girl to look at it in her life and go, Oh, I could, I could be, I could do this. I could be president. I could be a professional athlete. I mean, it's kind of neat to, to have all of those options available. For sure. And I think social media has given women's sports um, a huge and necessary boost in terms of visibility. Cause it's, it's true that anything could be going on of any quality, but if people don't know about it and people can't see it and aren't encouraged to watch it, mm-hmm. then it almost doesn't matter. But I think, you know, for a lot of years, it has been a thing to watch men's sports. People have, you know, have family histories of being fans of Yankees versus Mets. And like, right. these are things that are cultural. So it will take a long time for women's sports to, to reach that cultural level. And even for soccer in our country to reach mm-hmm. that cultural level. <laughs> so, but I think that, you know, it's if the efforts put in to get the spotlight on those things more then it will enhance the the speed of it growing for sure yeah i mean i think some of it is culture i think a large part of it is culture for sure um i am one of those families we have a little brick outside the the st louis cardinals stadium that my mom got and it shows the three generations of cardinals fans so clearly there's there's an influence there for sure but i think you know people want to see the highest caliber of play too and and athlete uh, sports tend to be a very physically demanding thing and men to, you know, are are at the highest levels. I played in a a Kentucky soccer tournament a few weeks ago and not a lot of people shut up for that, believe it or not. Uh, So it's not just men's sports. It's like, we want to see the best of the best. And that typically means the strongest, fastest are going to be men. So I get that to some degree, but I do think that there is a storyline there and a culture and, and, and that we can create this other you know, field of play to let women compete and to see what that looks like. And, and it's cool to see that continue to increase. I saw an ad actually the other day when I was watching the, the, uh, the U S South African game and it gave me goosebumps. Like, and I was like, and maybe that's part of what you're talking about too. Like, let's get some dollars to promote this, to tell the stories, to, to show, you know, and it showed, I forget exactly who it was, but it was showing the behind the scenes work and the grueling hours that you're putting in. It's like, that's a human issue, regardless of you're a man or a woman. Like I see the dedication and the commitment and the struggle and the pain, like we can all relate to that. So it's kind of neat to need to see that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. And I think, I <laughs> think that the, um, I, I totally understand what you're saying in terms of like, it's entertainment. So like the money is going to be where, where people's eyes are. Right. But I also think that it's, we have a, like we've set these norms and standards of like what it's supposed to look like. And um, I think that there's, you know, the sports, sports, when women play certain sports, it's going to look different than a men's sport always. Sure. Um, but I do think that, there's excitement and value in the game still and that it's not even close to highlighted as it should be so we don't really know what the final entertainment value of something is if it's not properly being showcased i believe and even things like i always think too um you know when you watch a uh, european men's soccer game and the way the stadium looks and the way the camera angles are and the commentary that's given just the ex- the viewing experience is yeah. so good. You hear the noise in the stadium. So then if you watch a, just say a, a women's game that maybe 
isn't in the nicest looking stadium, the camera angles aren't that good because the stadium isn't high enough, there, there isn't the noise of the crowd, you have people who are just learning to do commentary, the experience for the viewer, or maybe the That's field turf and if the ball's a little bouncy, it takes away from the quality of the game. So there's so much more that goes into it. Yeah. What we're seeing is not purely just a result of the level of athletes. It's, there's so much more that goes into it. Yep. That makes it. It's to me, it's kind of from both ends, right? Because if there was more money there, if there was a market there and there was more money, then the money would be able to buy the better yeah. angles and the better yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I hear what you say. And I think that makes a ton of sense I, on the uh, European front. I, I went to see an IX game many years ago when I, I played soccer in college too. And we went over and toured Europe a little bit and played some matches over there and we got to see some professional matches and stuff. Oh my God. Like if the average American went to go see oh, yeah. a match over there, it would have a completely different context. The divide though, in terms of like what we consider entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I agree. I think like, it's like, it's such a treat to go watch a European game live in the stadium at night. It's just, it's an, it's a different animal. It's almost like a different sport. It really is. Uh, you know, and one of the things that you don't get um, watching it on TV is, you know, when we watched it live, you see, ten, you know, there's 11 guys on each side, but there's 10, you know, in the keeper. But the, the 10 that are on the field, the, the team that we saw, they literally moved as a block, like it was fascinating to see. So I'm sure their tactics were like very, yes, disciplined, incredibly disciplined, wildly disciplined. And I forget exactly who they were playing, but um, it was a much more creative team. And so to see the exact same game, but played so uh, that's why I love the world cup. Cause you'll see Germany play, you know, an African team and the Africans are creative and they're spontaneous and they're doing these crazy moves and all this, and the German team is very disciplined and they're locked in and, this this clash of culture on this same field is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome to watch. Such a treat. Yeah. Yeah. I wish more Americans would get that opportunity because I think it would really change the way it's perceived here. It's for, for, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it's just perceived. I mean, I, I get all the diving and, and Americans don't like, you I think know. I think that's all excuse to be honest. I think we have our main sports in this country. And if you think about it everywhere else, if, if we combine baseball football basketball like every major sport here and made that what everybody watched that's then soccer in other countries so i think when people are saying that they don't understand the game they haven't taken the chance to even watch so people will say like oh i don't like the diving it's there's not enough goals whatever it is but that's just because they're interested in something else and they prefer to watch another sport which is that's just the culture we've created in this country yeah well and it's weird too because soccer is i think one of the most popular kid sports in america like almost every kid yeah, plays. <laughs> yeah, youth sports. There's, there's actually it's concerning drop-off levels though in terms. Has of it okay? In the game, I feel like it's it's a big picture thing. Is that we have kids who soccer is just another activity. It's like you get dropped off yeah. at soccer, then you get taken to tutoring, and then you go to your um, other class, whatever classes you have. But soccer is is a game that can be loved and can be part of your life. Like you can be a, mm-hmm. a fan of the sport. We don't have that many people in our country who are fans of the sport who didn't play themselves. Mm-hmm. You think about it. So, and that's, but I mean, every, you know, every other sport, like there are very intense basketball, football, baseball fans who never have played in their whole life or like wouldn't even attempt to, but they love their team and they have all the jerseys and everything. Like that's what soccer is other places here. It's like an activity for kids. And then if you continue playing, you stay on as a fan. Kind yeah. Of. Um, very true. 
So I think we have a long way to go with the culture. We do. I I was watching a highlight video the other day of, I forget who, um, Ronaldo or somebody, but, you know, half of the highlights aren't goals, you know, whereas I think the typical America would think, oh, a highlight would be like, well, let me see the 10 goals. But there's so many little games within the game that if you don't have, if you haven't played, you don't know the, the creativity and the, you know, how he avoided that slide tackle or the touch on the ball is incredibly difficult to do or what have you, but. Yeah, it's true. Anyway. The, the understanding that you gain from, from, under, from getting the sport. There's a yeah. lot of nuances that other sports might be simpler and easier to pick up. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are, um, I, I could keep talking to you, but I don't want to take up the rest of your day. I know uh, you've got other things going on. I did want to ask you really quick though. What does Yael mean? What is, where's that from? What does so that mean? It's, a, um, it's from the Bible, from the Old Testament. And yeah. So I, I always that, this part of the story because it's, so it, it's a char- a very strong woman character in the Bible and it's a yeah. Hebrew name. And so right. my mom actually lived in Israel for a little bit after college and knew someone with the name Yael. So she wanted to give me and my sister Hebrew names. My sister's name is Shira. But I always joke with my mom, I'm like, mom, you could have picked one that people can say at least. <laughs> <laughs> she gets upset about it. But, um, but yeah, so it's a, a character from the Bible. What is the what is the significance of it though? What is the meaning? Does it have um, a so the I've seen it means um, either I've seen glory of God or something like that. So there's something um, like a really nice meaning like that, a very strong meaning. And then also it's some kind of I always get made fun of it. Some kind of like mountain animal too. Like <laughs> it's supposed to be I've heard antelope or like a nice graceful mountain animal. But then like one place I looked up, I never will love this down. It said mountain goat or something like that. <laughs> Thanks. So, a graceful mountain animal and meaning glory of God. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for sharing your story, being open and, and sharing the ups and the downs. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best. I, I have a feeling that you're going to be up to something really big and making a bigger impact than you've already made. But uh, again, thanks for your time and sharing your inspirational story. Oh, thank you. I learned a lot today. So I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, good deal. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too.